Do you want to know what's going on in the Adventist world, but you only have five minutes? Well, you're in luck. The Scratch is an STA news aggregator condensing broad news down into one short brief delivered right to your inbox every single week. The Scratch team has developed a new, more efficient way for Adventists from all generations and all places to engage with their denomination, but they need your help. In order to fund this endeavor, they're raising $12,000 by July 9th through Kickstarter. If you believe that news should be accessible and easy to understand, consider supporting The Scratch by going to www.thescratchnews.com. That's www.thescratchnews.com. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. This is a conversation all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And today we have a very special episode for you, as always, because every episode is special, am I right? That's right. And it's even more special when you listen to it. Yes, you, the person listening to this podcast, you are special and we love you just the way you are. That was really nice. Yeah. I mean... What's the alternative? They download it and don't listen to it? <laughs> well, if they don't download it and listen to it, then they miss out on the blessing and that would just be a tragedy. Yeah, so, true. everybody should listen to this podcast. Not for our egos, but for their blessing. I want to stress for that important. For their egos. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to how much we struggle and then they feel better about themselves. <laughs> We could do a whole episode waxing eloquent on the, the, the troubles and the struggles of just being a pastor. It would be probably hilarious and people will lose all respect for us because of how terrible our lives are. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like our lives are that hard. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I think there is a tension that people don't see when you're a pastor. The, the whole like, this is what I want to do, but then this is what I have mm. to do. Yep, this that's is true. That's a big part of being a pastor. Can I, can I make an honest... Like vulnerable statement, you know. You, can. you know how, like, you know that whole pastoral thing of you have to go and visit people. Oh yeah, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and and not because I hate people. I I, I want to be clear. I love people, and otherwise I wouldn't be a pastor. But I I am not the sort of I'm not like that cold caller. You know how like you have salesmen and they cold call to to get people to sign up for their product or to buy their product or whatever. That's sort of what it feels like to go and visit people, and I I just don't like doing that. Hey, I'm I'm the pastor and I want to come and visit you. Can I come to your house and talk to you and then pray with you and then leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the struggle for me is when it feels so. <laughs> Like, I'm not really into visiting either. And uh, I am a very much a people person. Yeah. Um, you know, but I honestly find visiting so awkward because it feels like it's like trying to force community and force friendship. Just like, hey, we're friends. Look at us <laughs> at your house together. He's <laughs> sitting here chatting. <laughs> it can okay. feel very tokenistic. Yeah. Now I'm going to someone else's house to be their friend. Bye. <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah. Of, yeah, it's, like it's, it's valuable at the beginning of when you go to a church to yeah. visit, I guess, and get to know people. But it's been really, I don't know, because I've been doing a lot of visiting at my new church, obviously, getting to know the people. But once I've visited everybody, I'm, 
I don't think I'll be doing too many more after that except for like people who really need it because at the end of the day, I want to create, I guess, real community, not forced community. Yeah, 100%. I I remember when I was at Avondale, shout out to Avondale, um, in our... In our first year of ministry, we got we got a class with a um, a local pastor in the Kurunbong region, and he was pastoring one of the big churches in the in the area, and his his membership role was you know well over a thousand, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand, and he was stressing the importance of visiting, and he said that he had a plan and he had a schedule to visit every single person on his membership role. Every single year. That was his goal. That's what he did. And so, like, I think he dedicated four days out of his work week just to travel around and visit people. That's all he did. Wow. <laughs> That's oh, a lot and, of visiting. And, and I remember sitting back even then and going, hmm, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> It's like people are paying you not to be a pastor, but to be their friend. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, a little bit. You have to visit people. It's kind of horrible to say, but I guess, I don't know. It's sort of true. Like, when you feel like you have to visit everybody, it's like, well, why can't we just hang out like normal people at yeah. like a barbecue at someone's house or, you know what I mean? It's just, that's yeah. how I hang out with people. I don't, I don't hang out with my friends by going and sitting at their house for half an hour and then, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, maybe we're not, Yeah. So here's a little story from when I was in college, right? So to warm us up, before before we were going, you know, straight up visiting and like sitting in people's houses, um, I was doing a bit of work with a pastor and he wanted me to go and door knock and give out these flyers basically for this program they had coming up. So he's like, okay, do this street, this street, like give me like all this street. It was going to take me two hours to do. And I was like, well, this will be a great use of my time. So I, started, <laughs> I went down. And I was determined to get every single house. Because I'm like, I want to be a good intern, you know? And anyway, well, not intern. This is a different program, but it doesn't matter. And um, I remember going down and there was this house and I saw the mailbox was like full of junk. So obviously they hadn't been home and I looked a bit run down. The grass was pretty long and I'm like, well, I want to get to the door and uh, I want to I want to make sure I at least try, you know? Because maybe they are. Maybe they just don't go outside much. Maybe they're a lock-in. So... I remember like as I got closer to their door, started looking at like the rest of the house. I'm like, man, this place is actually really creepy looking. You know, the door looked super <laughs> dirty and everything. And then I'm like, oh, well, let's just commit to it. We'll just do it. So I just like started pacing down the quite long driveway and getting to the door. And then all of a sudden I just hear this like sound. And I'm like, oh no. And it's like this. Ah! Like, ah! All of a sudden, like two plovers come out of the long grass <laughs> and then it's like, Whoa! like, you know, like jet planes swarming down at me. I'm like, ah, ah. And I, at that moment I was like, the smart thing to do would be to run away from this house and not go back. But of course the dutiful intern in me decided the smart thing to do here is run to the door and knock anyway. And so I ran to the door, knocked on the door the plovers are still trying to get me and I'm fending them off with these flyers. And I had to throw a couple of flyers at the plovers to get them to go away. <laughs> no one answered the door, obviously. So then I just bolted for it. And they chased me like four or five houses down the road before they gave up. <laughs> so this is why we should stop door knocking flyers, everyone. It's a health hazard. It's a, it's a health and safety hazard. 
Clearly. I could have died. <laughs> Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> Plovers, I could have had man. serious peck marks in my head. Plovers are vicious. No, because they got like... Don't they have like barbs on their on their legs? Like they they're kind of like um, kind of like <laughs> eagles. They got barbs. Oh no, like a like a rooster. Talons. Nah, nah. Like on the back of their leg, like roosters have talons. Like not talons, sorry, barbs. And yeah, no, uh, they can they can I don't know. They can do damage. They're pretty are. scary. Them That's, and magpies. They're yeah. people think Australia. People think like oh yeah, Australia's a scary place because you got like crocodiles, snakes, and spiders. I mean, realistically, everyone here is actually... Well, not here, but everyone in Australia is actually scared of magpies and plovers. It's They're true. the only things that actually scare you. Yeah, man. The birds there are pretty pretty hectic. Like, even um, some of the other native birds, like the cassowaries, they'll mess you up. <laughs> I would never want to mess with a cassowary. Far out. <laughs> they are terrifying animals. If you're yeah. one of our overseas listeners, make sure you take some co- time to uh, Google a cassowary. Yeah. They're pretty, they're pretty hectic. They're, and they're then cool. think, they're cool what would birds. happen... If I was walking down an alleyway and then on the other side of the alleyway with a cassowary. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. I, I'm imagining like a film noir sort of setting and with like <laughs> pouring rain. The cassowary is smoking a cigarette, dressed in a, in a trench coat, wearing a fedora. <laughs> well, you clearly don't come around these parts very often, do you, Sonny? <laughs> Takes the fedora off to reveal the horn thing underneath. And it's, like, <gasps> it's a cassowary. You came to the wrong place at the wrong time. James, help us. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Oh, but man. cassowaries aside, <laughs> we're here to talk about something very serious. I mean, slightly less serious than cassowaries. But still pretty serious. Yeah, I mean, still- we talk about serious things all the time on this podcast. This is a serious podcast. Mostly cassowaries. But yes, it is no. mostly a cassowary-based podcast, but <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, last week, we had a pretty interesting conversation around Century Church and what they're doing in Alabama. Alabama. Um, and I guess we, I guess it's just a continuing conversation we've had a bit around church structure, which has come up a lot. You know, we talked about compliance. We talked about a theology of architecture. We talked about, the what, the future of denominations. Yeah. We've talked we talk- about movements versus denominations. Tim, Tim Gillespie's episodes on... Um- Church structure and finance were also really interesting. Yep. And I guess as a, for us, it's a big deal and because we see it as a continuing issue that needs to be talked about. So if you're like, okay, guys, you have talked about this enough. We have not. No. There is, there is more Never. to be said. <laughs> so we must say it and we must talk about it. And we will. And this, will. Is what, this is what today is all about or tonight, depending on when you're listening. But... Um, Really, the, the big question that, that we're asking, I suppose, is what is what does the future look like for us? That's one of the things that I love to talk about, especially with some of our guests when they talk about leadership and life and ministry. It's looking to the future. Josh and I both love talking about the future, uh, especially when it feels more and more like we are a denomination or a movement that's look, living more in the past. Um, yeah, the future is exciting. The future is interesting, which is why we want to talk about it. So really... The question that we want to ask today is what does the future of Adventism look like or what are we going to predict? Because we're not, we're not futurists, we're not 100%, we're not his, historians or anything. So, it's not like we can predict this with a, you know, without, without, without any uncertainty. I wish um, I was a futurist, to be honest. 
Yeah, it'd Jesse's be a super heard cool my job. cries before about wishing to be a futurist and trying to make predictions, and they're almost always wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to to be honest, though, like I feel like we all just kind of want to be like Owen McManus, like pastor, futurist, artist, musician, the whole thing. Like it's fashion, fashion designer. <laughs> it's like fashion, fashion. <laughs> um. Um, so I guess the, the the good place to start would be to ask, where do we see the church going in the future if we kind of head down the road that we are currently heading down? And so for those of you who kind of understand where the church is at right now, you can start to think about that. But for those of you who maybe, you know, this is not something that you think about a lot, um, the Adventist church is in a really interesting place at the moment. We're in this season of uncertainty about, where we stand on some really, really key issues, namely uh, women's ordination, but also things like creation, um, things like uh, acceptance of, of uh, homosexuality or, or you know trans transgender, the whole really the whole LGBTQAI plus spectrum, um, as well as other things like that you might consider pretty minor, like worship style, which is always a great one that we always come back to um the rise of conservative adventism focusing on um a theology of perfectionism like that sort of stuff seems to be becoming more and more prevalent in our church today so there's a whole cocktail of this stuff that's coming through um you want to say something josh oh i think even even things like sacred and secular that is just coming up all the time um things about sabbath things about the way we dress things Basically, just reef, you know, it's kind of like reform. There's just so many things that people just have such different and polarizing views on. And some people can live together with, with others with different views, um, but some people can't. And it creates big problems and tensions. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the way America is going right now. Like, we're seeing a resurgence of American political um, conservatism, I think. Um, people are more and more conservative than they used to be. And I think we're seeing that in Christianity as well, including our own our own tradition. Um, so you can understand where the church is going because of where the world is going. But really, we do have a, a unique sort of situation as Adventists. You know, we're not just like one big part of American evangelicism or general Christian evangelicism. We are kind of our own sort of thing. We are dealing with some of our own stuff. So I guess to start this conversation off, Josh, with everything that's going on, if we were to go, let's say, 20 years down the track, you know, like we're suddenly in our 40s, getting close to 50, you know, our kids are kind of the ones that are our age now. Where do you see the church being if we continue down the trajectory that... Um, we seem to be going on right now? Yeah, good question. Kind of tricky. <laughs> um, like Adventism at the moment is going really well in some countries and really poorly in others. Um, so I, I don't have high hopes for what Adventism will look like, say 20 years from now in Australia and New Zealand. In America, if every is that if everything stays exactly how it is now, is what I'm saying. I still like I'm a big, I'm a very positive person. <laughs> I'm very optimistic, um, so like I have high hopes and believe things can get better. 
Uh, but if everything just stays exactly how it is now and nobody pushes for change and nobody pushes for new things, I think we'll be, I don't know, yeah, pr- a pretty small denomination in places like America, England, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I think the only growth that we'll have in those countries will be people moving there from other countries where Adventism is doing really well. Um, <laughs> like, for example, Adventism seems to be, well, I don't know, from our perspective, it seems to be doing really well in Brazil. Um, South America yep. just seems to be absolutely booming. I'm not sure exactly why or what what the context is there. I don't know enough about the culture and how it's all working there. Um, would be interesting to talk to somebody about that. Yeah. Doing really well in Africa, doing really well in a lot of the islands. Um, But yeah, I don't know. In our our context, it just doesn't seem to be thriving. So I think we're heading to a future where our only growth happens from people moving in from other countries. Yeah, and I Um, think... That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, I I think that um, we're already seeing a lot of that now today like in our churches like i think of the church growth that i've experienced in my own church and going back a few years the church that i was a part of a few years ago that was the majority of the growth like we had maybe one two three people out of a church of 200 who joined the church straight out of you know not being a christian that was considered a pretty good crop in a church of that size at that time. And the majority of people who joined the church were joining because they were transferring from another city or another town. And they were yeah. already Adventists. Or they were they were Christian, but they joined the church because they, set, they saw something different and new in Adventism that they wanted. Yeah, and I don't want to discount that kind of growth because that is happening a fair bit in the Western world. But... If we're being real real with ourselves, that market is shrinking too. Um, like the idea of getting Christians from other churches, um, there's less and less people going to churches and some churches are doing really great things about it. Other churches aren't. Um, so there's only so long that Adventism can continue to grow by just focusing on reaching Christians from other denominations. The All the Christians that I can think of who have joined churches that I've been a part of over the past four years, who came from other Christian churches, they're all retirees. Oh, really? I I don't think that's 100% accurate. I'm sure there are people that I'm thinking of that are not retirees, but the vast majority of them are over the age of 50, 60. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hasn't quite been my experience. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Sort of a mix, but no one... No one, uh, no one under thirty, unless it was like they came with their parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I almost want to say no one under forty. No one under forty, unless they came with their parents. Yeah. Well, maybe even 30, it, maybe even it, even yeah. in our churches today, we have experienced a fairly large exodus of Gen Xs. Like there are hardly any Gen Xs in the majority of our churches today. Like it seems to be made up of boomers primarily, and then. Some Gen Ys, some Gen Zs, but most of the Gen Xs are gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is sad because that's that's sort of the that's sort of the crop of people who should be sort of the senior leaders at this point in time, right? Should yeah. be the the Gen Xs, and yet we don't see them. So I think that's why a lot of our church is sort of still in the hands of the boomers. Not that there's anything wrong with the boomer generation necessarily, but 
they lived in a different time and the world is different to when they were young. So I think a lot of what we're seeing is a direct result of the Gen X, the Gen Exodus. Oh, oh there it is. <laughs> um, you know, actually, yeah, it's pretty sad. And I think actually, I think another thing that we might see, and we talked a bit about this in our compliance episode with um, Josh Wood, I actually think within Adventism, we might also see a split. Um, yeah. Yeah, or maybe a couple of split-offs. I don't know. Uh, I was talking to somebody um, from... Uh, she, yeah, she was from PNG, and she was telling me... Like, she's lived in New Zealand for years now, but she was telling me that um, she went back recently and... When she grew up there, there were just um, there was just like the Adventist church in town and the Catholic church, and you were either Adventist or you were Catholic. Now she went back, and there were all these like there was the Adventist and the Catholic church, but then there were also there was like a Pentecostal church, but then there was also all these Adventist split off churches as well. Oh wow! Yeah, like ones who they're like Adventist, but they have a different view on tithe. So now they're their own church. And then there was another one that they have a different view on Sabbath or something. And mm. so it, what's really interesting is I think it could go either one of two ways because I think most people think, oh, um, if the church is going to split, it's going to be those dang liberals, you know, those liberal <laughs> Adventists. Oh, they're going to want to build all these big churches with lights and it's all going to be a show and they're probably going to speak in tongues and all this sort of crazy, crazy <laughs> stuff. But but I think it could go the other way as well. I think that there could be some pretty major conservative splits because I I, I as I, you know we alluded to it before. But there's this rising conservatism, not just like conservative in terms of just the way you vote and your views on marriage and um, abortion and gun control, but like really ultra conservative, like what. Adventist term CBs or concerned brethren or or whatever. Well, there already are, have been yes a bunch of split offs like that. So yes, there's and to be honest, there's a lot of people who I've never understood like why they don't just go to those churches because I know they'd be a better fit and they already believe in those things that those churches believe. For example, like Reformed Adventists mm. is its own denomination already, and I don't. There's a lot of people who are still in what we'd call mainstream Adventism, um, but they would probably fit better in reform. I don't know. Yeah. But there haven't really been too many like liberal split-offs. Very small, very small handful. Yeah. I haven't really heard of any except for individual churches. Yeah. Here in New Zealand, I can only think of like one or two individual churches, but not like, but I'm saying that I think, I think the core issue when it comes to that struggle is the struggle over what is Adventism or or how can we, what are the parameters around which we can define Adventism? And I think both liberals, quote unquote, and conservatives, quote unquote, have their own set of values and thoughts around that question. Um, you know, we're seeing this more and more. We're seeing this in um, movements such as what the One Project was, you know, a big part of starting. We see this in Adventist Revolution. Um, we see this in um, the recent um, Adventist Revolution uh, rally that happened in America with all these young people coming together and and talking about this stuff. Um, the Zeal Rally, I think was what it was called, hey? Um, yeah, I think so. Our friend Caleb Isley was part of that and a whole bunch of other really, really, really thoughtful people. Um, 
So there's a lot of people who are quote-unquote independent on the liberal side, but then there are also a rising number of like YouTube evangelists, um, news publication websites, um, and, and, and those sorts of people that have become incredibly um, popular online as well. Um, like some of the views that some of these YouTube evangelists are getting are astounding. Like they're, it makes me green with jealousy how, how in, in a way, just their, their reach. Like they are preaching this ridiculous, like I, I think it's ridiculous because um, I'm a flaming liberal apparently. <laughs> but they're getting so much reach and they're getting so much exposure and people are like rallying to them. Um, so they're, they're becoming huge. Yeah, um, Marcos uh, Torres from the Story Church Project, he talks about it uh, sort of, he paints them as being like a fear-based ministry, which I can see. It's kind of like they're fearing people into believing what they say. Yeah. And that is so not our approach. But I'm honestly blown away by like how much it works for for people. Do you know what I mean? Like it's incredible. I, I, I could just, I would never get into it. You know what mm. I mean? I'd never be interested in, in listening to that. I mean, no offense to these guys, but honestly, the way they pitch things, the way they dress everything up, it just would never appeal to me and my personality type. I know yeah. that for a fact. So, yeah, I find it super interesting how like, like we're talking like tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of views and stuff yeah. on these videos that just pick on people really and then to say why they're why they're basically, I don't know, humanist or Illuminati or something. <laughs> yeah, you or know? Gnostic <laughs> or whatever. And these are not even like the these are not even like the mainstream guys. These are not even the Walter Vites or Stephen Bores or, you know, Doug Bachelors. These are guys that are until they hit the YouTube scene, they're like relatively unknown. Like it's not like they're celebrity status. They hit the YouTube scene, they make all these videos, they put a lot of production value into it. Like they go hard. Um, and, and they work really hard, so respect to them for working hard and building these platforms. But still, as Josh said, it's all fear-based. It's, it's, it's telling people what they want to know or what they don't want to know. Or I don't know what, I don't know what it is that draws people to them. Maybe, maybe we should like try and track down somebody who gets, who's involved with this and try and get their take on why this sort of stuff is so effective to some people. Because it is effective. There's no doubt about the effectiveness of it. Um, yeah, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, I think the core issue as, as I already alluded to was the fact that you have conservatives and liberals, and then you have centrists, people trying to figure out where they stand on the continuum. And we're all trying to figure out what it means to be Adventist and what Adventism really entails. And so on the one hand, you have people who go, well, Adventism is all about following the rules and, you know, making sure that we do all the right things and we go to church on the right day and we believe the right things about Jesus and, and the Bible and all that sort of stuff. And then I think on the other side, you have people who are insisting that no, Adventism is more about, it's more about Christology, it's more about Jesus, it's more about being socially active and socially aware, it's all more about being loving and um, generous and 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 there's this dichotomy, I think, between the language that we're using because we're using all this different language. And I think if we... And this is my hot take. This is my prediction on the where do you see Adventism going. I do think that there will be a split if we don't arrest this and nip it in the bud in the next decade. I I yeah. just don't see it going any other way. Yeah, honestly, like... I. 
And I remember back when we did our Tim Gillespie episodes and he said something I found really interesting about how currently Adventist churches only have one, basically one type of way, or basically one way you can be associated to the Adventist conference. And he was saying there should be more. Yeah. And I've been honestly dwelling on that idea for what, it's been like a year now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just thinking about it because... Um, I was like, that's actually true. And I think something like that could help. And we'll get into more of these. But it's this idea of like, there's all these tensions amounting because we have this framework that's supposed to fit everybody in it. But just frankly, not everybody fits in the framework that Adventism has set up. Right. Maybe yeah. maybe a hundred years ago we did, but not anymore. It People have changed. The world has changed. We're different. And it's not that the message of Adventism has really changed changed it maybe has developed and modernized in a way and maybe we've changed our emphasis on things a bit but ultimately we're still preaching the same things um well okay no maybe maybe we are from all the members i've talked to i think we are preaching slightly different things maybe more grace orientated than we used to be but Mm. um but ultimately like it's the same church but we haven't updated our structures and it can be frustrating i know particularly as pastors we sit around and we see these other churches just booming because their structure is just perfect for them and what they're doing. And we yep. can see that there's our structure works for some, but does not work for everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To and put I, lightly. Yeah. I think I think that's the tension because... Well, all right, well, shall we just jump into like structure? Because I think that really is... I think that's really where the heart of this is, um, this conversation. Because as you said, any changes to the structure would work for some, but it may not work for others. And I think currently our structure does work for some, but it doesn't work for others. So if we were to change, we would essentially not be flipping it like an even 50-50. Like, okay, on the one hand, 50% of everybody is happy with the structure and 50% aren't. But if you were to flip that to something different, that would change who's happy and who's unhappy. I don't think that would be even. But... So let's talk about what other structures could we look at that could potentially work better for the church moving forward. Yeah. So when we're talking structure, we should just say as well, we are talking like the financial structure, um, but a few other things. But one thing is like financial structure. So at the moment, the Adventist church is built on sending all the tithe to um, the storehouse, aka the conference, Mm -hmm. and then it all gets basically put into um, paying for ministers. And then I think, I don't know how it works in each division, but I think a small portion of it gets also used for evangelism. Um, So it's basically churches run almost purely off just offering, uh, like local offering, not tithe. Um, So that's a part of it. Another part of it is also um, the way we send out ministers. They come from... Adventist institutions and conferences send them to different churches. There's a whole lot of things. So when we're talking structure, that's sort of the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I guess there's also the stuff with compliance counts as well, and yeah, that executive yeah. committees. I don't. Yeah, like. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I, I think the three main the three main thrusts are finance, um, seeing eye to eye on certain issues and um actual organizational structure yeah so those would be the, too really yeah 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 mission i think has to tie into all of that i suppose 
Yeah. Um, so I guess the most obvious and almost polar opposite to what we have would be a congregational model. Yeah. Um, so that would be like, for example, well, that's probably the most common other one. That's like what non-denominational churches have. That's also mm. what actually even like, I think maybe like Pentecostal Assemblies of God, I think maybe they use this. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Maybe I, Baptist somewhat. as well. I'm not sure. Baptist um, do, yeah. Yeah. And that's basically where everything just stays in the local church. Yeah. Um, so, so if you're part of a denomination, for instance, if you're part of the AOG or you're a Baptist church, you will pay like a a membership fee and I don't know how much that is. I think it's based on your tithe. Um, really? To, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I, I shouldn't say that for everything, but I think that's generally how it goes um, or your congregational size or whatever. And so that is kind of like your membership into that organization and that helps to fund the denomination to be able to resource churches and to do um, you know leadership development with pastors and conferences and all that sort of stuff that people like to do um, the the thing that we have which is so different to that is tithe goes straight to the conference what happens then is that that tithe is then divided amongst a whole bunch of different things and I, I you know, I don't know exactly everything that's 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 on there, but everybody kind of takes a piece of the pie. So your tithe, let's say you send a hundred dollars to the conference, um, or let's say you put a hundred dollars into the offering plate of your tithe during your local offering at your church. That hundred dollars goes to the conference. The division takes a a piece, which then gives a piece of that to the general conference. You the missed union. the union. Sorry, the union also... I don't know if the union gets gets it straight from the division or if the union takes it separately. I'm trying to remember it. I think the... I remember they broke it down for us when we were at college. I think it's yeah. the... So the conference takes 100%... Well, it takes it. And then the conference gives the union 10% of everything uh-huh. they get. And then I think the union, they give 5% of everything they get to the division and then the division give 2% of everything they get to okay. the general conference. I think it was something like that. I probably okay. got the numbers wrong. But well, if somebody like wants that. to correct us, then feel free. Please do. But that's that's and if nice you want to and flame us tidy. for not knowing that off the top of our heads, please do so. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't take accounting at Avondale. We learned to be pastors. Um, okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's basically how it works. And then the rest of it kind of gets divided up into the local conferences budget. A large percentage of that goes to paying pastors. I think if you could take any one part of it and go, that's the main part, that is the main part, yep. um, is, is making sure that we have a wage. So what we, I guess, and the general conference has, has said in the, wake of, um, in the wake of annual council last year in October, they their kind of plea to the church was to come on board with with compliance and to not fight it and all that sort of stuff because they have even said themselves that they are worried they're concerned about um, Adventism breaking apart and going into a congregational model. Um, that's something that they hold up to be. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, after after compliance. After the annual council, they released this video, like the the people on a white background. Oh, and was, I forgot about like, that video. You remember that one? Yeah. Oh, Everybody yeah. got so upset about it and they were kind of like, please don't make the church break apart and go into a congregational model because that would be terrible sort of thing. So they've even said themselves that they they 
fear a congregational type model. Um, yeah, which is interesting because I don't know what the fear is. Like, I don't know why we're so against congregational. Like, not that I'm saying we need to go for it. I'm just saying I don't understand why people are so afraid of it and why so few people... Like, when I've brought it up before with other leaders, so it's like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. No, no that's not... <laughs> you, we can't do that. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, yeah. okay, I get it. I won't bring it up again if it really upsets you, but I just want to know why. Like, why yeah. are we so adamant that we have to keep with the exact same model that we've had since 1880 or whatever? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I just yeah. don't get it. And I want to know why, like, what the big fear is. And the problem is, if you don't spell it out, then people are likely to come up with their own reasons why they think that you fear it so much. And the most obvious reason is you would lose control and then you would lose money. You know? No, Jesse, you lose unity. Oh. <laughs> no, but legitimately, that's, the, that's what I've heard the, probably the most. People are like, oh, to make us, you know, we wouldn't be unified. Like we wouldn't be like a world church and we wouldn't have unity. But, I, but don't, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't think money would solve all of our... I don't know. I feel like we're already a bit dis... Like, what's the word? Ununified? Disunified? Dis, disunified. I, I think, you know, you, you, go to, you go to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is very similar to Adventism, and you were to ask, okay, you're a Southern Baptist church, and the church in the next city is a Southern Baptist church. Do you feel like you're part of the same denomination? Do you feel like you're disunified? I don't think people would be like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, like, we're a Southern Baptist church, but, oh, those churches over there, they're not real Southern Baptists. <laughs> I, 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 feel like, I feel like we do that anyway, and we have this, this you know, highly controlled um, financial system. I, I, don't think that, I don't think that taking that away would take away unity because it's not like you... Don't become Adventists the minute you stop paying tithe to the conference. Like, there are many Adventists today who don't pay tithe to the conference. Like, that's a dirty little secret. But some Adventists put tithe to the local church because they feel like it. It they prefer to give tithe to something that they can actually see happen on the real ground level, right? Yeah. That does uh, does that make them not an Adventist? Maybe to some. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean... That's the thing, I, like I have my beliefs and how I would want to, how I you know do tithe and offering and all that. But I don't know. I feel like it's such a between you and God. And I know it's such a cliche answer, but I feel like it's such a between you and God thing. And ultimately, he's he's blessed you with that that income and been so generous to give you that income. I'm sure he has a dialogue with you about how you're going to use it. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That's I, I don't know. So that's why like I don't really want to. But I know some people feel like it's actually a fundamental part of Adventism is the way, like a fundamental part of our Adventist theology is how we do tithe and offering. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's right either. I could understand a hundred years ago why it was necessary. You know, if you go back a hundred years ago, you had the pastor as the circuit riding church planter who would go here, there and everywhere. It worked amazing in that system. It's a perfect system for that. But we don't do that anymore. That's not who we are. Yeah, but well, it's because basically back then we didn't have pastors. We really only had evangelists. Yeah. So you were paying people to go from city to city to city to city to just evangelize the Advent message. And so that's why all the money just went into paying for more evangelists and growing the church. But then people were like, 
hey, our church is two weeks old and it's falling apart now. What's the evangelist left? We need a pastor. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of why we just adopted the same system. But obviously things are really different now. So I think, I don't know. It's hard for me to say this because obviously this is the system that pays for us. And yeah. obviously we're, we're loyal. Like, how do I say this? Like we don't hate the church or anything. And I love getting to be a pastor. And obviously this system such an awkward thing to talk about. This <laughs> LA, the church is obviously paying for us to be pastors full time and I'm so grateful to be in this position. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm not allowed to question and I'm not saying we should go congregational. I'm just asking the question, is there a better way for us to have it? Like, is there a better model we can be going for as a denomination? And yeah, I know this is awkward to, to talk about because obviously we both have a kind of a stake in this uh, and it kind of seems counterintuitive for two pastors who are getting paid by the conference to talk about not getting paid by the conference anymore but <laughs> it just i think it is important to have this conversation and if we can't have this conversation then i then who is going to have this conversation really um but i want to talk a little bit about what realistically we would be looking at if the church switched over to a more congregational model um because as as we've talked about really this model does work for a certain amount of people. And I think the the most obvious demographic of Adventists that this model works really well for is uh, rural churches. Um, yeah. That's like the main... And we talked about this in a... Yeah, we've talked about this in a couple of episodes. But the main advantage of our, church, if, of our structure is that you can have churches anywhere and pay for a pastor anywhere. Might be stretched between a few churches, but it means we can have churches way out in the middle of whoop-whoop. But... Um, yeah, still be functional churches because they've got somebody who's like trained and everything to help them. Yeah. That's a real advantage of our system. And uh, yeah, and we've known many pastors who have done this. Um, you and I have done this uh, many times. Uh, we've been we've been part of this. But, and that's that's really like, it's hard to have this conversation because as soon as I start talking about going to the congregational level, the obvious... Um, objection is well what about country churches and i think sadly the reality is that if we did switch to this model there are numerous country churches who just wouldn't be able to keep the doors open anymore well there'd be some city churches as well who wouldn't be able to really oh sure Um, for sure yeah because that's the thing like uh, our denomination historically has not been good at ending things at the right time You know what I mean? Or ending like things drag, at all. Drag things on well past their their best buy date. <laughs> best Bro. before date. And yeah. it's just kind of unhealthy. Like, because every church has a um has a life cycle in a way. Yeah. And it's a healthy time to start and a healthy time to end. Um, some churches I mean, you look at something like a Hillsong or like a life church, it doesn't look like it's ever gonna end, but in <laughs> a will. way it they will. were like their church started out of another church ending. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they ended a lot like there have been things that have ended within their church. Like it's there's seasons and if we don't go with those seasons, I don't know, you just get these early unhealthy kind of zombie churches. I agree. And I think God's a gardener. I think God raises things up. You know, he waters them, he blesses them, he makes them strong and healthy for a season. And then after they've had their season, uh, he allows the something to die and he allows something else to grow out of 
you know, the rotting corpse of of the thing that was there. Yeah, I don't know. It's like you know, you know the plant. You know the the tree falls down and yeah, then I get it. plants grow out of it, and then you have new trees, um, sort of thing. So, but yeah, I think I think that's what God does. I think He allows things to grow for a time, and then He then He lays them down and allows new things to grow out of it. So, could it be? And here's the question that we have allowed this thing to grow past its use-by date. Yeah, I want to say yes, <laughs> but <laughs> that's mainly because as a pastor, I see that there are lots of trouble, and um, we talked about this last episode, lots of trouble with um, just money to keep buildings going and to start new ministries and to even like hire staff other than pastors. just mm. doesn't happen much in our church, and I think it should. Um, I think there should be more options to hire different kinds of people. There should be more, I don't know, readily available funds to sink into local church that aren't necessarily in the form of a pastor. And I think, I think on the on the note of pastors, I'm going to say something which is going to be, I don't know if it's going to be controversial, but it's not going to sound nice. I think as a pastor, it's easy to work out how to do the bare minimum and still just kind of get paid and sort of stay in the system for a long time without really hustling, you know, right? R- without really like working hard, without actually pouring your your life and, and your heart and your soul into your church. And I don't want to sound too cynical, but I have met many pastors over the years who I can tell by their lives, and this is a temptation of mine as well. Um, they do the bare minimum, they aren't super exceptional. They're not trying to better themselves over the years. They're not trying to, you know, become better. They're just kind of doing what they're doing and they're not trying to do anything more. And it's very easy just to kind of coast by on that easy salary, you know, because like pastors don't get paid a lot, but it's it's a good salary for what we're doing. And, you know, I'm thankful for that and I feel very blessed to be in this job. But it would be easy for me to just tick the boxes, not do anything super amazing and just kind of have a pretty pretty coasty pretty you know easy career like that would be easy to do and i think the system allows that yeah totally it absolutely does and you ask any pastor how their week's been and 99 percent of the time their answer will be oh just so busy <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> that's what like i mean i've talked about this we should, yeah I, we've talked about this before but like i try and never use the word busy like when people ask me about myself just as a principle yeah. because I want to avoid that. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think there's so many pastors out there who, I don't know, they don't, they just, maybe they and maybe it's because they've just been burnt and hurt by churches and they just feel like mm. they can't change anything anymore. Like it's not always because they're lazy and selfish or anything like that. No, not at all. I would all. say most of the time it's because their good intentions were squashed. Yep. Um, and it just burnt them. And that's just life, I guess. It sucks. Um, and, and I think there are churches like this as well. You know, there are churches that just kind of coast by and do the bare minimum. Like there are churches I know who like, they say, oh, we're not going to give tithe to the conference, but we're going to still stay open. You know, like there are still churches that just can kind of coast by, don't do any evangelism, don't really do anything that significant, don't really bring new members in, but they can still say, yep, we're Adventist, we're all good. We're just here coming to our country club every week. Yeah. Um we have faith that God will grow this church. We're not doing anything about it, but we have faith that God will do it. <laughs> and again, and maybe like, you will. I don't want to say God can't do it. Oh, but. no. But I think God grows healthy things. So, um, and, and again, not to be cynical, but we have a system that allows for that. 
So, on the one hand, it would be tragic if we'd switched over to a congregational model and suddenly there were churches that just couldn't afford to keep the lights on. But on the other hand, I think one of the things that it would force people to do is it would force people to hustle. It would force people to go, "Hey, I actually have a I have actually have a uh, sort of like a, a dog in the race now. I'm I, I have to actually work hard if this thing is going to happen. I can't just sit by and complain and hope that God is going to grow my church. I actually have to get in there. I have to get people to to give. I have to get regular offerings and tithing going. I have to get people passionate about ministry so that we can grow, so that we can, you know, maybe buy a new building or actually afford to pay the rent. Like it would force people to actually get off their butts and, and commit to church. Uh, I think we live in a system where it's far too easy just to kind of sit by and not do anything because everything's taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, I would... I would... Well, maybe I don't know. That's ideally. I'm sure, like other churches, feel the the whole laziness thing just as much as we do. But <laughs> mm. you know what I mean. Like, I don't know. I don't think just going congregational would necessarily solve all of our problems like that. No. But it, it is an interesting thought that yeah, maybe if they actually could really tangibly see that, oh my gosh, if this doesn't happen, this church is going to close. Do you know what I mean? Like That's that's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. if we do not meet our tithe quota, we won't be able to pay our rent or our insurance or we won't be able to whatever. So, that it, it's not just simply a matter of, of, oh, well, you know, we got the conference for that. You know, it's like, no, we're kind of, we're on our own to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I think another interesting thought though, it's not like... It's not like the only other option is to go congregational. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're either the denominational model that we are or you're congregational. I think there are other options that exist that haven't really been explored yet. Like some sort of hybrid model. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think the Adventist church has typically been somewhat hesitant to engage with business or businesses or organizations that aren't explicitly started within the church. But I think there is a third way that could definitely engage with small businesses or entrepreneurs in terms of generating revenue that could pay for structures and pay for um, infrastructure for churches. Um, For instance, uh, I... I'll link this in the show notes, but I was listening to a Kerry Newhoff leadership podcast. There's a guy who runs a non-for-profit and he builds preschools. His non-for-profit builds preschools. The preschools are a business and he builds auditorium theater sort of blocks into the preschool itself, which then can the church can use as its meeting space. But then you have a business on the side, which actually pays for a lot of the infrastructure because it's expensive to build buildings. That's just one. I mean, we talked about last week the um, the century model that they're doing in Alabama, which is all about engaging with the community, with other non-for-profit organizations and generating revenue based on land and rent and all that sort of stuff. It's really clever. Yeah. Well, I even... I mean, that's really cool. I mean, what I was thinking is even something like, um, you know, instead of instead of a hundred percent of the tithe going to the conference, we seriously examine our 
our structure from conference right through to general conference um, and we slim them down as much as possible and then we go for a model where, say, churches only give 20% of their tithe to the conference or something or they give mm-hmm. 40% of their... and then they use the other 60% just for their own personal ministry. Like they can use it for the building. They can use it for ministries. They can use it to hire staff. Um, and the conference, for example, could even just... Like they could do all the admin stuff and all the work, what's it, like the work safe stuff. Mm. Um, they could even do up the contracts and everything, um, work on the superannuation and all that kind of stuff for pastors. And here's like, because one thing I actually really love about our system is that all the pastors get paid the same. Um, that's not the reality in congregational churches. It's sort of, they're all paid differently. Um, and I actually kind of love that we have like one, at least in the South Pacific division, there's like, here's, here's the exact plan it looks like to pay for a pastor. And maybe mm. if they say, okay, here's the part-time model. Here's the full, like if you want a full-time minister, it's going to cost you this much. If you want a part-time, it's going to cost you this much. This is where the money goes. And then they just decide that. I would love that um, because then it's still getting a lot of the benefits we have now with having all of our admin centralized but then local churches can still use their money for what ministries and everything they see more fit to use it for. That makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Even if, even if like the local conference could do like your accounts, like that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's like centralizing as much as we can to work together as a denomination. Because there are there are private organizations now who will do that. Like they're like mobile accountancy or mobile admin for you and local churches like there are local like there are small businesses that are doing that now for churches so why couldn't the conference do that yeah absolutely Um, you also raise another good point which is the system itself with all of our local churches going up to conference going up to union going up to vision to division going up to general conference it is bloated um Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I think I think even if you we weren't going to a congregational model, I think Josh is so right. Even if we slimmed down on the hierarchies, like if we if we could just have, even if we were to just take out one of them, we were just to take out divisions, or we were just to take out unions, I think that would that would absolutely free up so much time and money and um, resources that could go into local church ministry, which is what everybody says is where the real ministry happens. And that's the truth. Yeah. And I should say, we are super lucky here in North New Zealand Conference. Um, We have a super slim conference and like as in conference office, and most of it's actually not paid for by tithe at all. Um, Yeah. Like I and a lot of the like the lead pastor and, and stuff like they they all still work in local churches as well as doing their job. So for us here, I can't really say that it's as bad here, but I know in other conferences, they have, they have this just massive conference with all this staff. Yeah. And yeah. none of them are doing anything really. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it, I, I think, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're super mm-hmm. grateful mm-hmm. for the conference we're in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would Every just other conference s- sucks, but ours is, the, <laughs> is so great. <laughs> It's like, Pretty much, like yeah. co- conference presidents listening to that and we're not hiring you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Jesse who said that just sooner. I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> Josh loves all the other conferences equally. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but no, it's it is true, and, and I think it's it is a stewardship. It is a stewardship issue. I think when it comes to how we spend our resources, this is true on a um a local church level. You know how we spend our resources in our churches, down to how we spend our resources in our everyday lives. I think God wants to be Lord over all of that, and I think God wants to be Lord over our greater um, denominational structures and the way that we allocate resources to those structures. I think it's. It's really important, and I think it's important that we thoughtfully, respectfully, and spiritually, you know, look at that and ask ourselves the question: you know, are we doing the best that we can with the resources that God has given us? And I think that that's a really, really important question to ask. And again, it's really hard because, like, let's say that we took what I just said and eliminated the union or eliminated the divisions. Like, that's thousands of people out of a job. You know, that's that's. That's thousands of people displaced. So it's it's a huge deal, even if we yeah. were to go that. I mean, I'm sure there's ways you could do it slowly, like just taking, do you know what I mean? Just moving stuff to like back into local ministries or changing their role slightly. And even, you know, what I was suggesting with churches only doing it 20%, um, like maybe we could just slowly work towards that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's the thing. I, I don't think it all has to be some massive drastic change straight away. I don't know. I just I just want to see us trying new new models or trying to go towards something different or even offering churches a different membership model, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, I don't know. Like say, okay, this church, you can try only giving this like you can instead of giving 100% you can just give a small membership fee which is like a small percentage of your tithe yeah. and then yeah with these guidelines you can do this in your local church i don't know even if we just trialed it i just yeah. i just think we need to be looking at this stuff because seriously we're our local churches in at least in australia and from what i'm hearing in america and in london there's a lot of struggle um just to keep going with how it's all currently set up and we need yeah. to be looking at different things. And yeah. even if we can just slowly work towards them, if on the off chance <laughs> somebody with like a conference president or something is listening to this, just please don't be afraid of the conversation is the main thing we're pushing. Can we at least talk about this stuff? I don't know if mm-hmm. it's going to go anywhere, but I just want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I think the good thing about our system, and this is what a lot of people have been saying, the good thing about our system is because our system is so big and complicated and in many ways bloated, any change that will happen will happen slowly anyway. So it's easy for me to say, like, let's make all these big drastic changes. But even if we were to do that, we would be looking at a long couple of years of transition anyway. And that really softens the blow. So I don't think there's any reason why we can't have this conversation around structure what it looks like to be Adventist, what it looks like to be a member of a worldwide church, what it means with the way that we look at our stewardship and the way that we look at our money and all that sort of stuff. Because I I just have to wonder how much of it is is um, wrapped up in ego or wrapped up in power or money. You know, if Josh and I were given the option tomorrow, okay, we're going to change drastically our structure we're going to put all of our money into into ministry um but we we can't pay your wage anymore or we can only pay you a fraction of your wage anymore you're gonna have to go buy vocational like would josh and i really be okay with that if it meant that our churches would be better off for it i don't know that's a that's a hard call to make you know yeah 
I mean, that's reality. Like, I love being a pastor. Um, <laughs> and I love, I love growing churches. I love having the opportunity to preach the gospel and help people understand Jesus more and go on a journey with him. And, and ultimately, though, I want the churches to grow. So I know for me, at least, if, if that's what it took, I'd consider it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I care more about the church than I care about my job in a way. Is that, mm. Does that make sense? Is that a bad way of putting it? I don't know. No, no. I love lamp. No, you are you 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 make sense, and and that's that's really that's the hard call that we have to make, you know. And I think that's why it's important for us as pastors to be able to talk about this, because if we can't talk about it, then I don't think that anybody else is going to really go, oh, okay. So the pastors, if if they're going to be out of a job, and they're talking about this, oh, you know, that gives me permission to be able to have this com- conversation as well. Like, I think that's a good thing, and I have. I have to have hope for our generation and for the generation coming up behind us at least. If we can't have hope in the current generation to have these conversations, then we have to have hope that the generation that's coming up behind us will. And I just want to be able to create a church environment where we're willing to have these conversations. Even if we arrive at the conclusion of everything that we're doing is great and we shouldn't change, at least being able to have the conversation is is worth it and being able to have an environment where it's okay to question and it's okay to bring up alternative ideas, I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. Absolutely. I would agree wholeheartedly. And I guess some closing thoughts from me are that, well, I guess I'm just asking myself, do I love the system more than I love the, the, the mission? <laughs> you know what I mean? And the message that we have. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to love a system so much that it gets in the way of my mission. Um, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, we can continue doing ministry in our system. It's not broken beyond repair. It's not so broken that we can't do incredible things through the system that we have, um, our denominational structure. Um, but yeah, maybe there is a better one. Maybe there's not. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to let it get in the way of of the mission that we have. Yeah. Yeah. No, sounds good. And all I'd really say is just to reiterate, let's just have the conversation. Let's just keep yeah. that mission first and foremost. Let's let's keep the mission of reaching people for Jesus first and foremost. And everything else is just window dressing, really, because at the end of the day, when Jesus comes again and we're all kind of chilling out on the new the new earth and the new Jerusalem, ain't gonna be no Adventist denomination. Ain't going to be no general conference. Ain't going to be no, you know, <laughs> whatever. Will God be the general conference? <laughs> <laughs> what about the angels? Are they the workers? And then are we like the, are we the division? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Trust Adventists to be the division. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yep. Well, that's all from us. Uh, so please let us know your thoughts. Do we have it all wrong? Are we completely, uh, are we moronic for even bringing this up? I don't know. Um, but I'd like to hear from you and find out. <laughs> uh, if you guys um, want to keep up on everything that's going on Burn the Haystack related you can do that by just going over to burnthehaystack.org it has all the links that you need um, want to thank you to all the people that have been um, leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Google Podcasts 
I don't know. I'm not a I'm not an Android user, but it's there, I think. Um, but thank you to all those people. We love you. And thank you to all the people that have been sending emails. I've been replying to a bunch of emails this week. And it's just great to have conversations with people from all around the world. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah it is cool. Well, that is Josh and Jesse out. This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.